The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have Travis, who is an experienced real estate investor and managing partner at Freeman, at Freeman Equity with over $40 million in assets under management. He focuses on cash flowing properties to create significant passive income for his investors. He's a, a software engineer by trade and has spent over 25 years in IT management positions for several Fortune 500 firms, including Apple. Uh, so thanks for coming on, Travis. Could you tell us a little bit, about, a little bit more about your background? Sure. Yeah, as you said in my bio, um, I'm a software engineer by trade. Uh, you know, I've, I've been working in IT for quite some time, but I'm also a, a real estate investor. I started off as, like most people, in, in the single family realm. Um, you know, I was a single family landlord for over 20 years, um, accumulated a pretty uh, substantial portfolio here in Sacramento, California, over 20 single family houses at one time. Went through uh, 2008 and the whole housing bubble. Um, that was a significant learning experience for me. Um, fortunately, I was able to kind of put things back back together and get back on course. In 2019, I was up to here with tenants, toilets, and trouble. I was tired of, of dealing with single-family properties. And a, a friend of mine actually introduced me to the idea of investing passively in multifamily in a syndication so i decided you know what i'll, I'll take the leave I'll, you know i'll give it a shot and what i saw was the ability to enjoy the benefits of investing in real estate without the trouble and better yields based upon where i live and all of the tax benefits once i kind of saw how that laid out it all made sense from 2019, I, I started transitioning my single family portfolio and the equity in those properties into multifamily deals. In 2020, I decided I wanted to get more involved in the, the actual operation side. And I started GP in my own syndication deals. I partnered with a bunch of good guys. In 2020, ended up doing over 500 units syndicated um, in my core market, which was Kansas City. And then I just started to expand from there. A couple of JV deals in 2021 and an additional syndication. So right now I'm over 830 units under management. Um, and that's from a GP perspective or sponsor perspective. And then from an LP perspective, because I still invest passively in great cash flow and deals, somewhere around 3,000 units that I'm involved with in some shape, form, or fashion. So I, I we're currently uh, closing on a deal in Houston, a 227 unit. This is a uh, classy value add. You know, workforce housing has been my primary focus. 
But, you know, going forward, there's a lot of things that I, on the horizon that I'm looking at. Like I said, my, my company has been primarily focused on multifamily real estate as the kind of sub asset class in, in commercial real estate. But we're now looking to expand into other areas as well. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of good stuff to to work with. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a lot of units too. Uh, that's three thousand possibly is a uh, things maybe the the highest number we got on the show so far. So uh, congrats congrats for that. Um, so let's take it back before we uh, go forward. So what was your first milestone in real estate? In real estate or in multifamily? Yeah, what was your first milestone in real estate? Oh, okay. I had just graduated college. I was working for a company called EDS, Electronic Data Systems, and I was getting killed in taxes out here in California. My mother is a single family realtor. She suggested I purchase a piece of real estate to actually live in. So that's that's what I did in, in 1992. And I, I held that property until last year. Oh, wow. Cool. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like it probably worked out pretty well. You know what? And the one thing I say about California is you're definitely going to see some appreciation for sure. So yeah, it, it wasn't bad. I mean, that's a long hold, but you know, time time is the is the biggest uh, factor in real estate. If if you can wait, real estate never disappoints. If you can wait long enough. Yeah, that's why um, I think my biggest advantage is being twenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Great. So, um, yeah, could we talk a little bit more about um, Kansas City and how you cho chose that market? And I guess you're doing probably doing that remotely. But um, yeah, I mean, so I've heard I've heard some some murmurs about the market. It sounds pretty good, but I want to hear a little bit more about um, why you chose it. Sure. There was a uh, one of my my partners I worked at Apple with. He he eventually ended up leaving and going full time. But he was already acquiring strip malls in, in the Kansas City area. So he, he, he had connections and boots on the ground in the area. So he was the one that really facilitated the introduction to the brokers that we, that we ended up dealing with and the property managers. And once I looked at the demographics, Kansas City's it's the nickname is the Silicon Prairie. And it really is. Uh, you wouldn't know it. I mean, coming from California, I had no idea that Kansas City, I thought Kansas City was, you know, the Midwest and, you know, being out on, on the left coast, you know, you just assumed every, everyone else is just, you know, out of the loop. <laughs> but I was really surprised when I went out there, how vibrant the city was. I mean, obviously they have the Chiefs, but you could see the growth happening. And that was one of the things like, you know, they had just uh, just rolled out their light rail uh, downtown. You could see, you know, building and construction happening. Uh, there were some great submarkets there. And like I said, it checked both the employment growth box and the population growth box, appreciation growth box. There was no way I was going to. And well, here's the other thing. Cap rates were still reasonable. Our first deal, we got at a six cap. You're not getting that that deal now at a six cap. Yeah, definitely, definitely yeah. not. It sounds like that's been a trend in a lot of these uh, growth markets. Where I mean, it seems like value add is 
getting squeezed for all of the the value that you're adding. We're like, yeah, I used to think we're like, yeah, it's like you're getting the same returns as core, but you're taking on a lot more risk. It's like that's yep. a little little sketchy. And I know that's a. I mean, it sounds like you might be um, pivoting to a more <laughs> a wider variety of asset classes that uh, might have some more opportunity. So I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what what else you're looking at and um, you know, kind of yeah. how that solves these problems? I'll tell you what I've really been looking at. We had an opportunity in in 2020. I just pass on it because we had so much going on is I really like self-storage. I, as a sub class of commercial real estate, it, we talk about checking the boxes, you know, in up markets or down markets, it doesn't matter. Right. And up markets, you know, people are, are, are accumulating things, right. Those things have to go somewhere in down markets. People are downsizing. Well, guess what? The things they accumulate have to go somewhere. In 2008, when people were losing their homes left and right, they couldn't, a lot of times they couldn't sell the stuff, right? So the stuff went where? When people get divorced, somebody moves out of the house. Where does their stuff go? All of these, these boxes that get checked by self-storage. And the other thing that I really like about self-storage is, is your relationship to the tenant is different. And in multifamily, you're dealing with the tenant actually living in the unit. So you have uh, wear and tear on the asset. There, there are all these other considerations. There's evictions that you have to go through when there's problems. Well, in self-storage, you got a metal box and a metal door, right? And 60 days, if, if, if they don't pay their storage fee, well, guess what? Their stuff's up for auction and you move on. When you factor those things in and then... You know, coming from a technology background, I'm always looking for ways to kind of improve process. There are some, there have been some technological leaps in self storage that are absolutely amazing. There's a they actually there's a, a self storage not too far from here, where there is literally no one at the self storage facility. No one. You have an app on your phone. If you don't pay your storage bill, you're your unit doesn't open. And if you want to get in, you better get on your Apple Pay. You make your payment. All of a sudden, the unit opens. So being able to add that type of process is something that excites me because there's a lot of self-storage uh, facilities out there that are still mom and pop run. It's still you know some old guy and his wife that has owned the place for you know 30 years, and they're still you know they're doing everything manually. So the ability to get in and add those processes is what really makes self-storage interesting to me. Yeah, I really Love like it. the, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really interested in it too. I think that um, in from a, I guess a macroeconomic level, the fact that the leases are very short and you could raise them mm -hmm. each month is huge in an inflationary environment where you can adjust right. to that. And then it's also not very priced or people are not very sensitive to the price where you can raise it by 5% where in a multifamily, that would be like, wow, like it's a couple hundred dollars more a month that here it's, it's a couple, it's five bucks, 10 bucks. It's people don't, I guess from an inflationary point of view, people are the hassle of an extra five bucks a month is not worth switching to a different storage unit. So I'm with, I like that, that fluidity or that, uh, that relationship with the tenant as well. And then, I mean, I guess I know there's pretty, some pretty cool value adds that you can run, like collaborating with U-Haul and like, you know, adding yes. some extra storage and or some extra capacity in that sense. And I like a, even RV storage too, adding some more 
more storage and that or other kinds of storage because uh, I mean there's a lot of trends to ride in, in that in that uh industry. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna be an investment advisor to the people on the podcast. So the downside right. would be um I guess the barriers to entry are lower. People can build one across the street and significantly affect your business, which yep. is uh, one, one of the biggest problems, I think. So you got to make yeah, sure it's not sure. an oversaturated market. That's important. And well, and well, there's another positive. One of the things that I'm seeing in industry as well is this whole concept of trade units. Now that may be impacted by, by the macro going forward, but right now, there are, particularly if you're buying units that have additional property um, attached, you can make significant income building out trade units. And these are basically units that tradesmen actually use as kind of workshops. Um, there's a lot of upside in those. And, you know, worst case scenario, if, 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 if they begin to uh, no longer need those, um, those trade units, well, then you just convert them back over to sell storage and keep it rolling. Yeah. When it just metal box there's a lot more flexibility exactly you know you don't have to move out a kitchen and a oven and whatever right bed frames and all that stuff it's just yeah cool it's really it's i'm glad i'm glad we went into the weeds on this one that's that's really interesting um sweet so i know you have some uh interesting quotes relating to um i guess due diligence and uh and and i guess (laughs) underwriting too um but can it kind of can you pref- start with that, start, start with those and what they mean to you and then tell us a little, a little bit about your due diligence process for, um, for your deals? Sure. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, that men lie, women lie. These numbers, they don't lie. Um, now, you can massage them. You know, I'm not going to lie. There are people that do some very interesting things with their performance. But generally speaking, from a due diligence perspective, I, I tend to err on the side of conservative underwriting, uh, but I also marry that with, with a, a realistic view of whatever market that I'm in, right? So I'm not super pessimistic on anything. And it's the reason I was buying in the midst of COVID. I mean, literally we were doing multiple acquisitions in 2020 when the streets were empty in a lot of places. So I, I'm not necessarily adverse to the risk as long as the data you know, uh, provides evidence that my assessment of things is, is accurate. So in terms of, of the way I underwrite deals, because my firm is investor driven. So I, I am an investor first before I'm anything else. And in order to make sure there's an, an alignment between myself and my investors, every deal that I bring to my investors, I invest in personally. I feel like I, I kind of have to. Now, I'm not making a judgment around folks that, that don't, but I know for me, it, it changes the lens that I look at investments through if I am on the hook some kind of way for, for some of my own capital. So f- with that in mind, um, you know, the, you know, my mentor was a really, really probably too conservative, but the model that that I use now is it's it's focused on the returns that my investors expect in this current market, and a realistic projection of both, you know, what the market is going to do, as well as the abilities of the operator. If we're talking about multifamily, 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I mean, the fact that you invest alongside your clients is a huge deal. I mean, I guess one advantage of syndication is that you have the opportunity to invest in these huge deals. And so like you're finding good deals for yourself, but also want to do it for helping others. And then you, can, you can't even do it without them too. So it's like, right. it works a lot. And the thing is, I bet you some of your stockbrokers are investing with, uh, with Travis when, uh, you know, putting you in the stock market where they get their commission. So, I mean, it definitely shows the, the, the alignment of interest in real estate and syndication, especially is um, a lot stronger than other, some of other investment platforms. So oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's um, definitely a huge advantage. And I guess, um, you know, I am a strong believer that the past doesn't necessarily reflect the future and a lot of circumstances it doesn't. And so I'm really against plugging in the growth rate the last year and saying that's going to be the growth rate next year. I'm like, the fact that it was that, that last year is why it can't be this year. But I want to know how you inform these future models that don't actually align to data. I mean, yeah, there's trends, there's, there's other things, but like, how do you adjust these future projections um, based on circumstance? Like how do you input reality into number? That's a good question. Um, I'm old school in this regard but I don't invest in things I cannot see with my own eyes, generally speaking, at least as it relates to real estate. So that means regardless of whether or not I'm investing as an LP, I'm a, a sponsor or, 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 or not. Like I'm actually going to see the asset. I'm going to meet with the property manager. I'm going to, I'm going to the sub-market so that I understand at a visceral level, what's happening from a boots on the ground standpoint. To me, it's the, the numbers provide a, a great kind of framework for you to see things through. But I want to, like I said, I'm old school. I want to drive by at night. These are the types of things that it's very hard to kind of quantify, like, you know, on a spreadsheet. But these are the, we live in the real world. So it, it, these, these are things that are important, at least to me and my investors. Yeah, that's definitely important. I mean, like the amount of things that don't show up on a spreadsheet that aff- could affect an investment is, <laughs> I mean, just there's, is it, that's one thing. Like every re- investment has inherent risk because just like, you, 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 like anything could happen. It's just, it's, yeah, it's the world. So, I mean, that's, that's uh, definitely a very important perspective that um, <laughs> we definitely should take that advice. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that. And um, I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about your, experience in tech and uh, your, your long history in tech and kind of how your, uh, you know, being a software engineer informs your, I guess, your real estate models, but also just your investing philosophy. You know, it's funny. I, most engineers I know are, are risk on. I think it's just the nature of the work. Uh, but with that being said, what it means is, is I apply kind of you know, to use Elon's uh, term, first principle thinking, I try to apply it everywhere. So what what that means is, is at least for me, is I'm looking for ways to create repeatable processes around the investments that I get involved with. So I am looking like, uh, here's a, for example, anytime we do a deal, I'm looking for space on the asset where I can set up storage units for, for the tenants. I'm surprised everybody doesn't do this. Like uh, it is every multifamily deal I've ever walked, there's always been people with 
a bunch of stuff outside. And what that, what that tells me is that they need some place to store their stuff, right? So from a technology standpoint though, what I'm looking at is, is okay, how can I streamline process to, to drive NOI? So when I look at, if, if the laundry's there, right? Is the laundry automated, right? Um, are we going with, with a contract vendor or, or are, we, are we actually coming in with our own, um, uh, you know, with, with our own machines? Uh, from a, a, a tenant management standpoint, what is the the software package that the property manager is actually using? Are we are we accepting cash? Like, there's all of these these things that I applied through my algorithm when I'm looking to try to figure out how I can dial in, um, you reduce expenses and dial in NOI as much as possible because you know the name of this game is either e increase rents or decrease expenses. So you want to do one of those two things in order to ultimately try to reach your performer, which nobody ever does. But I try to at least overperform, you know, ideally. Yeah, definitely, definitely uh, yeah. helps to under, or I guess, under promise, over deliver. Definitely is a, a good right. way of having repeat business and customers and growing. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm into transparency and, and honesty, and I think that's definitely a, a key, a key to it as well. So, um, I guess what kind of technology have you been seeing that you know reduces costs or I guess I mean guess maybe also value add technology where people are willing to pay more for it? Well, you know, there's a there's a couple of things. Um, you know, right now, you know, kind of contract service bundles are, are really big, right? So if you can kind of loop in, you know, uh, you know, cable, broadband and provide that as a service. One of the things that we've, we've been doing on some of our assets are is actually including that in with the overall rents for, for the tenant. So in the way we structure our deals is it, it, you know, it appears to be free, right? It is, but the tenant is actually paying for it as part of the way we model um, the process. And then we, we're also looking at, um, you know, depending on the asset, obviously a C-class asset is not going to be um, you're not going to have nearly the technology stack that you have in an A-class, for instance, right? Where you can have automated door locks and, you know, and apps that, that control the lights. And there, there's so many different um, levels, but obviously the, um, the tenant base has to kind of support that level of, of automation. But yeah, th there's a lot of different opportunities um, in that space that, that I, I think are, are really interesting from, you know, automated payments to, you know, you know, the ability to, you know, accept multiple payments uh, during the month for rents. There's, there's a lot of different avenues that you can actually pursue there. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And my, my goal or my, what I see myself doing in the future is creating multifamily properties for that cater to my generation. And in terms of the technology and the things that I value. So I want to uh, not necessarily have the biggest, most luxurious units, but has everything that we want as, you know, young, mm -hmm. young business professionals who have to get by with not the largest salaries yet, but, uh, you know, like things like an Amazon locker and maybe smart thermostats mm -hmm. and uh, definitely things to make the ambiance cool. And just like, you know, I want to make a place rather than just make a, a you know, a brick building where you put yourself at night and, and do your, and, you know, cook food on the weekends. I want it to be, um, you know, 
a place where you enjoy being. And, you know, that's a, I really, I want, I think the value can transcend the, the functional, um, technical ways or things and, and I guess attractions and, um, you know, the actual components of the piece. It's more like what I want to create a bigger sum than the sum of the parts, uh, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. You want to experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it, man. Definitely. I was young so, once. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know. You seem pretty young at heart, at least. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Um, yeah. I, yeah, for sure. Definitely. So um, it, regarding technology, what are some of the, beyond the um, asset level, what are some of the technologies oh. within the space that you're, I guess, what are some technologies in the, the world that you think are the future? <laughs> okay. You know, uh, coming from a software background, I am a huge fan of blockchain technology. And I'm a huge fan of the idea of, of these applications as it relates to real estate, especially. If you look at like the process of, of a title exchange in real estate, there are so many manual touch points and that process is painfully long. I envision a day in the very near future where Everything from inspection to, to lender underwriting to funding uh, to title transfer happens, I don't want to say instantaneously, but certainly within a day. Like there, it's, it's ridiculous how long it takes to close some of these assets. And that's because there's, there's so much manual process in place. So the other thing that I see is Right now, when you do when you're doing syndications, it's a relatively heavy process, just in terms of of your interaction with uh, SEC attorneys and the legal entity that has to get created, and then the the interaction between the legal entity and the and the lender and the seller and the broker. Well, I envision, and it's already starting to happen. Not only the tokenization of real estate. But I envision in a relatively short time frame, I'm thinking, you know, by next year, you're going to see, um, you know, full DAOs, you know, uh, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations spring up that you're going to be able to buy tokens in those DAOs and uh, in effect have a share of ownership in a piece of, uh, of real estate. It's just a matter of time. And what that will do is, Lawyers make all of the money in, in most of these deals. Like, you know, would they charge for, don't, don't get mad at me. My, my mom's a real estate get, lawyer, by the way. Okay. Would they charge, <laughs> so, so, so she's done well, right? Um, <laughs> would they charge for mostly boilerplate boiler 506C offerings? It, it, Yeah, let's just say, let's just say, um, for the most part, uh, the the cost could be drastically drastically reduced, and you would you would have instant transparency across the board too. Because that's, that's the other thing, right? Investors typically have to have a high level of trust in the operator. But imagine a scenario where distributions are handled via via the DAO. Our so you know, right. basically, you, you know, you're the the smart the smart contract is what dictates the value of your underlying token. And here's the next part of this. 
Right now, syndications are relatively illiquid, meaning if you have interest in a multifamily deal, good luck getting somebody to either buy that from you or to secure debt against it. Good luck. There's not really a, a, a real marketplace for it. But imagine a DEX where you could actually, you know, look, I got a 10% stake in this piece of real estate. You know, here's the token for it. You could provide liquidity or someone could provide liquidity for it. And you now have a market for exchanging interest in, in real estate. I think that is the next big thing. I don't know if anybody that's working on it, feel free to steal the idea if you want to. Um, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential in things like that as it relates to smart contracts and the blockchain. I think there's definitely has to be people working on it because I've I've thought I've independently thought of the similar similar topic because I mean I'm thinking mm. about it from a different perspective because I'm like right now the barriers to entry are very high. Almost all these mm -hmm. offers, I look at a lot of deals. I'm on email lists for, for a lot of syndicators mm -hmm. and I see these, it's like five or six C. It's like, okay, well, I don't make 200, I don't make $200,000 a year for the last yeah. two years. How am yeah. I going to get in on this? So it's like, by you can make tokens and then incrementally like break them down into smaller and smaller pieces where I could put a hundred dollars mm -hmm. in a, in a, in a deal through, through a token or by buying a, a piece of a token or, you know, by breaking the tokens down into um, indivisibly small pieces, essentially. So I think that that kind of, um, and that's beneficial for liquidity, but also democratizing this, this, uh, private real estate space where, you know, it's kind of at this point, SEC regulations restrict it to people who are in the top 5%, essentially with the accredited investor, um, qualifications. So I think that's a really important um, or uh, something that's great about this this uh, this emerging technology. Absolutely. And yeah, just to kind of clarify the smart contract thing, it's a uh, you know when you put your money in an an escrow account, there's a you have to trust an intermediary to pay it out based on cer some circumstances that ha occur. When you have a smart contract, th these the things ex execute based on the qualifications that are you know, predetermined and transparent. So it's like, if I do not pay my mortgage, the title gets instantly transferred to this person and it happens and no one, no judge or, or agent has to decide this. It just happens based on the circumstance. So that kind of smart contract yep. thing, like the concept dramatically decreases the cost of transacting and also increases the, I guess, even trust and transparency in many circumstances, obviously if it's applied right. Yeah. And here's the here's the other thing that I would really like to see. You know, right now, you know, in D, in the DeFi space, you know, you know, borrowing and lending, I mean, those two activities take up a significant amount of DeFi currently. But imagine now being able to collateralize a loan using a piece of real estate. So you know, already the best way you know, to do it. Right. That's that, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, and, and you're doing it in a way that, as you mentioned before, is, is trustless, right? You know, the you the asset is, is, is collateralizing the loan, but as opposed to going through the process of, of this huge refi, imagine being able to, like, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, I have a 10% interest in a syndication. I want, I may want to keep this but I want to borrow against that 10% interest. 
that that's a lending platform where you're bringing real world assets and crypto together. It's got to yeah. be done. Someone has to do it. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard of some projects working on it actually, and it's definitely important because it's, it's, you know, no one can, you, no one can run away. If you lend someone money, no one can run away with it because it's, yeah. it's stuck in an actual protocol. Like there's exactly. nowhere in the world where this can't happen. Like this, this happens not in the world. You know, there's no yeah. escrow agent that can die and forget what you, <laughs> you know, what's happening. I don't know if that's how it works, but I mean, yeah. it just, it's, there's no, yeah, it's trustless. So that's a yeah. really cool. No bankruptcy. Yeah. There's no, you know, the, the contract is the contract. Yeah. And I mean, that's what contracts are supposed to be anyway. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, that, this is a really cool topic. And I hope some people who are listening go farther down this rabbit hole. Cause there's, I mean, a lot more interesting things to talk about and maybe you could uh, have Absolutely. this conversation more in the future. Definitely. But um, let's jump to the lightning round. You ready? Let's go. Let's do it. Perfect. All right. So what superpower would you want if you could choose any? Telekinesis. Cool. Um, I'm trying to th- see how that would apply to, to real estate. <laughs> well, you know, the ability to, well, to the move build, things. With, right. Yeah, yeah, to build mind, like, houses. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I love applying these superpowers to real estate. Like the, the we got a super speed. It's the, it's comp man can make sure the roof roof's not not broken or whatever. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. So, what's your favorite book, or what's the one that's helped you the most? Man, there's so many. Let me tell you what's really helped me lately because I got it right here. I'm actually reading it. Ooh, that's a good one. Because I'm an, you know, I come Wait, from for people who are on audio, we should we should mention the name. Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Um, an amazing book, particularly if you're like me and you think you can do everything yourself. The leverage that you're able to get by bringing in folks to actually do the things that they're experts in frees you up to do the things that are really important. I can't recommend the book enough. Yeah. I hire VAs based on it. Like things I would normally do, I, I, I just offload them because they, they should be done. And it allows me to, the other book, I hate to mention too, The One Thing, yeah. uh, uh, Gary Keller. And the one, these two books kind of go together. The one thing tells you to focus on the one thing that is truly important and realizing that multitasking is an illusion. We, no one multitasks. You, do, you, can, you can context switch poorly, but nobody can do more than one thing at a time. It just doesn't happen. So you take the one thing and then who, not how, and they, they go together, right? You're able to focus on, one, on the one thing when you're able to delegate tasks to the people that need to do them. Yeah, that's great. And the example I always use is uh, if you want to close on a real estate deal, are you going to spend three years getting a law degree and then do it? Or are you going to hire a lawyer? And just that, that Good concept point. is, yeah. So, I mean, and you clearly, you clearly love to hire lawyers because um, you're willing to pay for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I if, if, if their price wasn't right, then they, they would, no one would pay it. So. Yeah. It's, uh, you know what? You got a good point. You need them when you need them. Right. Well, that's it. So uh, what motivates you to continue every day? Oh, that's easy. Uh, I had, I recently had a grandchild, but my focus now is generational wealth. That, that is my primary focus. It's why I still work. Um, Because the idea that I can, I can improve the, the, the situation for my 
you know, my descendants is super motivating for me. So I want my I want my grandchildren to be able to pursue the things that bring them joy, not a paycheck. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great uh, great why, and I'm totally totally I'm I'm a little young to think like that, but I I already see it. I already already think about it all the time. Yeah. So um I, yeah, I don't really think age is a, it's oh, a factor will. in that dream, you know. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So um what what advice would you give to someone? who wants to follow it in your footsteps? Oh, network. Even if you're, even if you're introvert, that network and learn how to speak publicly. Those, I know I keep doing two things as opposed to one, but networking, I feel is, that is really the difference between those that are really successful and can scale and those that can. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. And, uh, Part of the reason why I started a podcast before starting, you know, by whatever business I'm going to end up starting. Right. So, you know, and uh, it's been, it's been a great journey. I've learned a lot um, from a lot of amazing people. So uh, since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So um, feel free to ask me anything you want to know about me. Okay. So you're at, you're at that age where the decisions that you make have a ripple effect on the rest of your life. So what is it that you would do? If, if money was no object, what would, what would you do? Um, so, so give me a little bit more. You mean if I, yeah. Uh, what, what, I don't want to say what is your purpose, but if, if you, if you never had to work again for money, I mean, maybe you're in that situation now, I don't know, but what would you do for free? from from a vocation standpoint you know what honestly i might cut off cut off a little bit a couple of things i'm doing that are less important but pretty much what i'm doing you know i'm gonna have a podcast where i could add value to the world through knowledge and education share my wisdom and whatever i learned in my journey and be open and be myself um i'd in i mean i think it's it's to me it's the same thing i want to invest in real estate it's it's a game you know i really enjoy looking at properties and I want to build things and I want things to be there. It's like, it's not, it's not even, if you don't even think about for money, I still want to have a thing that I built here and it adds value to the world. It's there. So I like, like I actually had not ever put this together, but I really am setting myself up on a trajectory where like money is not even the object. It's the value I'm creating for the world. I believe I will get compensated because I'm going to make intelligent decisions along the way, but it's really about the value I'm creating. And um, so, I mean, I guess, Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, I continue to network. I'm, I'm starting a real estate networking group in New Orleans, and I, mean, I get energy from talking to other people, and I learn a lot. So I continue doing that. So uh, I think I, if I could, uh, in, I would definitely want to start my um, my nonprofit or my foundation. That's what I could do if I if I already had the money to, to fully do so. I'd want to cure blindness, um, and you know, put a lot of money into the research for that because I think it's a uh, under it's underrepresented in terms of the, the, the causes that people, um, you know, devote a lot of time and energy to, because I think that uh, can really improve a lot of people's lives through the, the change to, you know, helping a lot of man see. So that's a, that's a little glimpse into all that good stuff. Right on. Cool. So Travis, it's been a pleasure having you on. It's been a really fun episode. Definitely learned a lot. I think we shared a lot of value with 
with the audience. Um, how could we learn or how could the audience learn more about you and where can they find you? Sure. Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm just now getting into TikTok. Um, mm. You can go to Freeman Equity or you can look for Travis Gibson um, as well. Um, on LinkedIn, it's, it's Travis Gibson. There's actually two profiles. There's my engineering profile and um, my my investing profile. Either will work. And um, or you can hit me via email at Travis at FreemanEquity.com. And um, yeah. Oh, and here's the other thing I want to leave everyone with is being your authentic self is the it's the only real gift you have to give to the world because everything else already exists so embrace who you are flaws and all it's the only way we make this world a better place the world already has somebody else but it, what they don't have is you a lot i appreciate that and i definitely take that to heart and i, I hope everyone does too well travis thanks for this wisdom and and all the other and all of the all the other wisdom you shared with us today and um yeah everyone keep making milestones all right have a good one